Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners, as always. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday and this weekly Thursday podcast that we do love to do at Lace Partners. And today's podcast is an interesting one because we're talking about neurodiverse talent. I'm going to introduce our guest in a second, but as always, I need a Lace Partner in Crime. Today's partner in crime is the wonderful Emma Scriven. Emma, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good. I'm quite interested to delve into this topic, actually. And we've done a little bit of um, pre-work and spoken to our guest beforehand. And she's also presented to some of our team at Lace, hasn't she? And uh, I think some of the topics that we're going to cover are fascinating because I don't think there's a lot of people that talk about these subjects enough. So let's uh, let's stop my waffling and we'll introduce Mel Francis. Uh, Mel, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. And hi, Emma. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. So Mel, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we're going to start delving into this uh, this topic of how do you uh, how can you make a difference in creating neurodiverse talent? But first and foremost, give us a little bit of a background on yourself, please. Of course. Hi. So I am an HR professional. I've always worked in HR. I can't imagine ever working any other profession. I mean, why would you? So I am a fellow of the CIPD. I've worked across lots of different industries, including telecoms. I was at Vodafone for five years. I've worked in publishing and more recently I've worked in business schools. So currently I'm a strategic people partner at London Business School. Then about four years ago, following my son's diagnosis with autistic spectrum disorder, I also became a neurodiversity champion, really through increasing my own knowledge and awareness of neurodiversity. So that's what brings me here to talk to you about neurodiversity and how we as HR professionals can really make a difference in this space. Thank you. It's great to hear kind of your story and how you've become so passionate about the topic. I think just as a kind of opening question, could you tell us a bit about what neurodiversity actually is and why it's so important that we start talking about it? Yes, I can. It's a great question, Emma, because it's one of those words that I think we're banding about quite a lot now that some people just don't know what, what it means. So let me give you the literal translation. Neurodiversity means our brains, our neuros differ, are diverse. So there's a literal translation. But this was coined by a sociologist called Judy Singer back in the 80s. And it's effectively an umbrella term for all of the neurodiverse conditions. And they include dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, Developmental coordination disorder or dyspraxia, developmental language disorder, autistic spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD, and Tourette syndrome would be the, the conditions that really fall under the neurodiversity umbrella. Can I just ask a question? Can you just quickly go over some of those those names? Because I, I'll admit I wasn't even aware of a few of them and what they actually mean. So just for the benefit of listeners and also mainly me, can you just talk us very quickly, just a sentence or two on what each of the different issues are? 
Of course. So, and, you know, I'm with you until I started really looking into the neurodiversity and, well, starting with understanding my son's diagnosis of autistic spectrum disorder and then subsequently appreciating neurodiversity because autism is not neurodiversity. That's really important to, to be clear about. And also, I think we've all heard this phrase of if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. That applies across all of the neurodiverse conditions and traits. And so I'm with you in that some of these I hadn't heard of. So let me just run through, as you say, a sentence or so on on each of them. So dyslexia is a condition that can cause issues with reading, writing and spelling. And it's probably the neurodiverse condition that most of us are familiar with. Um, dysgraphia is a condition that can cause challenges with the skills or the set of skills known as transcription. So taking what's in your head and then transcribing it into something tangible. So our handwriting, our typing, our spelling might all be um, challenges with dysgraphia. With dys dyscalculia is a condition that can affect your ability to acquire math skills. So those with dyscalculia might have difficulty understanding some simple number concepts or lack an intuitive grasp of numbers. So sometimes, you know, when kids are struggling at school with maths, it's really important to think about whether it could be something linked to dyscalculia other than they just can't get their head around mathematical formulas, for example, and and adults, actually. You know, these are conditions that are lifelong. Dyspraxia or developmental coordination disorder is a, is a condition that can affect your fine and or gross motor coordination. And it could also affect speech. And developmental language disorder is a type of speech, language and communication need, whereby you might have some difficulty talking and understanding language. Then autistic spectrum disorder is the way we think about and experience the world around us. And that can be different to most people. And again, it's a spectrum disorder because the the extent to which individuals have strengths and challenges in this spectrum is very individual. Similarly, with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which can be misunderstood as being one of those conditions where people are just really fidgety, they can't concentrate. It's actually an impairment of the brain's self-management system, which also affects executive functioning. So your working memory, planning, time management, being able to organise, etc. And again, it's a spectrum disorder, so it can present differently. So some may have ADHD, which is primarily inattentive, others primarily hyperactive or impulsive, or a combined type of those, um, of those traits. And then lastly, Tourette syndrome is a condition that causes somebody to make involuntary sounds and movements called tics. Cool. So I was just thinking about as you were describing that and trying to think about it from a business context. So one of the things that we obviously want to talk about today is how does HR make a difference in you know creating neurodiverse, neurodiverse talent, but also de probably delving into those talent pools because there, it, there are big talent pools there. Do you think that there are businesses that because of the nuances with each of these disorders and there's so many different disorders do you think that businesses are doing enough to embrace each of them and each of those nuances is there more that businesses in general need to do it's a bit of an, a, a sort of a wide-ending question there i appreciate yeah is i think there is more that all of us can do you know there is firstly you're having an increased awareness of 
the complexities and the richness of neurodiversity, I think, is really important because although I've said that these, you know, run through the, a couple of sentences for each of those things and said that this condition could have this, this condition could have that, what we also know is that these conditions will coexist. So if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I have autism, what's your assumption for autism? You know, your next question should be, how does that impact you? What do I need to know? What are your strengths and challenges? Because actually having those traits of autism, you might also have traits of dyslexia or dyspraxia or other neurodiverse traits that go right across that um, that band. So mm. I think, you know, the, as I said at the beginning, it's such a rich group of talent that sometimes we're not doing enough to be able to truly attract, recruit, and then retain that talent because we're, we're just not aware of how brilliant that talent is and the addition that it will make to our organisation. Yeah, definitely. I think, as you said, we can definitely do more. And when you came and spoke to some of us at LACE, I think one of the statistics that really stuck with me and really shocked me, to be honest, was that 50% of employers wouldn't hire someone who is neurodiverse. So I think I just want to explore a little bit, why do you think this is? Do you think it's kind of a fear thing? Is it a lack of understanding? Is it a combination of all these things? But actually, why is it so important that we break some of that stigma down and reduce that statistic? Because it's absolutely huge right now. It really is, Emma. And that statistic, by the way, came from a report that was compiled by the Institute of Leadership and Management in 2020. So it's still recent and it's called The Power of Difference. Um, so do take a look at that because it had some really fascinating insights. And as you say, that big shocking statistic that came from it is that 50% of those who responded said they wouldn't recruit somebody who was neurodiverse. And I think genuinely the answer is because there is a lack of awareness of the brilliance of neurodiverse talent. I think there's a lot of assumptions, as, as I said earlier, about what those conditions are and what the traits are, and therefore that equals trouble, therefore let's not even go there. But what we're missing then is the whole heap of real skill and knowledge and creativity and innovation that also exists in the neurodiverse talent pool and so I think if we can start by increasing awareness of neurodiversity that really helps us to start to increase our appreciation of neurodiversity at all and you know this this was where I started with my son's diagnosis you know I was completely oblivious to what that meant what that meant for him and that's why the more I learned about it, the, the keener I am and continue to be to really just increase awareness for all of us because, you know, this talent pool is so rich and we can do so much. Yeah, definitely. And can you give us some examples of kind of the real strengths of a neurodiverse workforce, but equally some of the challenges that organisations might face when bringing in neurodiverse talent? And I suppose any examples you've seen of companies that do this brilliantly and kind of the types of things that they're doing. Yeah, sure. So let me tell you about some of the strengths and the struggles. So this is where these this is how I like to define it. So strengths and struggles. When we're looking at the diagnosis of um, neurodiversity, what we're looking for are the spikes in the profiles. So 
the areas that we're testing or looking at in, in diagnosis, not me, sorry, I shouldn't say we, I'm not a psychologist, but the psychologists are testing, um, will give us the spike. So where are the particular areas of strength and where are the particular areas of struggle that we need to be aware of? Now, that doesn't stop you doing things, but some of the areas of strength that we see that are prevalent across neurodiverse talent most broadly include creativity and innovation, um, lateral thinking, so our brains working differently than than the majority, which gives us the ability to think differently and come up with different ideas and solutions, the ability to analyse strategically and be consistent in tasks once you've mastered them, um, and also having that some have real sustained attention to detail and also having really strong problem solving and um reasoning capabilities tends to be some of the strengths that we see across the board. Some of the struggles might be um, lacking concentration and focus, um, fatigue, and um, having difficulty with organizing or planning. With some of the conditions or some of the traits might include having a poor sense of direction, and others might struggle with reading, writing, and spelling. So again, going back to what I said earlier about the importance of talking to individuals and finding out what their particular areas of strength and struggles are is really important because being able to tailor what you can do as organizations to really enable people to to truly be their best in your workplace is really important and to answer your question about organizations that are doing this really well i think really the organizations that i've seen doing it well are the ones who are taking the time to truly understand what neurodiversity is, what tools and techniques will help us to um, enable them to thrive within the organisation, but before that, enable them to be attracted to the organisation, have a recruitment process that enables them to really demonstrate their ability with that particular role, um, and then once they're in, having the ability to to do their best every day in the environment that suits them too. Yeah. And I was just listening to what you were talking there about, um, you know, things like where people have fatigue at certain points. Yeah. And it, it's, it dawned on me that do you think with the post-pandemic era that hopefully we're getting into now, this whole period, this whole global pandemic and people having to be forced into remote working and then this hybrid working approach. Do you think that that potentially opens up its, its positives because of the need that businesses have realised for flexibility in their workforce? Do you think that will have a positive impact in terms of uh, neurodiverse talent and their ability to to get the, the jobs that they, that they want effectively? I hope so, Chris. And I think that, you know, across the board, that should be the case, neurodiverse or not. I think probably the the one thing that I've really um, noticed of the, or during the pandemic with those who are neurodiverse is some can really struggle with transition. So I remember when we went into lockdown, I was working at an ed tech organization um, that had a really brilliant cybersecurity team. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they're, as we all were, you're working from home, you know, and then we started to get calls. Can I come back? But if I can't come back, can you send literally everything about my desk and my setup to enable me to recreate that at home? Because it's really important for those individuals 
that they had that set up to be able to um, continue to work in that way. And also they set up, I can't remember the name of the of the tech, but they set up this um, system whereby they all had microphones that were basically recreating the atmosphere of being in the office with each other. And they could all just kind of, you know, have that chit chat during the day too. So that was really important. So I think now what we're hearing is some organizations are saying, right, it's all over all come back and you can see that some people are really struggling with that and you know who wouldn't you know we've all had the ability to work from home we've all demonstrated that we can do it and it's fine and we're not having to have that commute we're not having the cost of commuting etc add to that some strengths and struggles around your neurodiverse condition and I think you have to be really careful that you're not losing your talent in the big call to let's all get back to you know, three years ago when we were working in, in this way. So yeah. I think there's lots of opportunity um, yeah. as we emerge. Yeah. Do you know as well, just another question, probably linked to that, actually. Again, I was just thinking about the fact that everyone's talking right now about how many talent shortages there are yeah. um, in the marketplace. And if this is a, if this is a, a, a part of the of the workforce which isn't being tapped into are you seeing more organizations that are positively embracing this and saying well look this is our normal talent pool we haven't considered this um type of talent before because of their you know the neurodiverse the the nuances around the requirements that they need as a business so do you think do you see that as a opportunity and our business is recognizing that as an opportunity we've got talent shortages here's a pool of potential workers that we could start tapping into Yeah, so I definitely see it as an opportunity. Um, Another sort of shocking statistic, and this is from the Office of National Statistics, tells us that just 22% of autistic adults are in any kind of employment at this stage. So that's, you know, 78% of autistic adults who are not. And why is that? So there's a massive opportunity. Do I see organisations kind of having that light bulb moment where they say, oh, hold on, neurodiverse talent, talent shortage, Let's see what we can do to move that. Yes, more and more. I think there are more and more that are definitely going to going to come on that journey, and and you know that's where we all help to increase awareness in that space for sure. There are some organisations that are doing it really well. Um, EY have got a neurodiversity centre. Microsoft do a specific um, recruitment campaign for neurodiverse talent and the accessibility on their systems kind of helps to to reinforce their focus on neurodiversity and enable people to really be their best. You know, those tools are continually um, being improved as well. So which is which is great to be able to see. So, yes, I think there's loads of opportunity. Are we there yet? No. I hope that lots of people who are listening to this podcast, you know, start to think about how they can really move to be neuroinclusive. And we've got lots of lots of tips and stuff that we can share with them to enable them to do that, too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting as you talk through like some of the things that we can do around kind of really understanding the individual's needs. And for me, a lot of those things fall to line managers. And we at LACE talk a lot about line manager capability and I suppose my question is more, how can we as HR really empower line managers to feel confident in this topic where they might initially feel a bit scared and don't know the right thing to do? How can we really support them to kind of embrace these neurodiverse talent within the company and almost enable them to do their best in their role? 
Yeah, I think the first part of the of the journey, if you like, is to raise awareness. And what I would encourage us to do as HR professionals um, is to raise awareness across the organisation. So I was talking to an organisation just yesterday, actually, about doing a session to raise awareness most broadly. And they said, oh, we'll start with line managers and then we'll go to staff. And I've encouraged them to think about that in the other way, because actually, if you can normalise some of the language and give everybody a shared understanding of neurodiversity and what it is, what you naturally find is that people start sharing. You know, even on that initial awareness raising call, I've had loads of people put in the chat, oh, that's me, I've just been diagnosed, or my child's really struggling. And and you get natural conversation going on across the organization because, you know, one in five of us is neurodiverse that we know of. And more of us won't know that we're neurodiverse. Some of us might have children who are struggling. And what we know now is that neurodiversity is genetic. There are some who acquire it through, for example, brain injuries, et cetera, later in life. But if you've got children who are struggling, then you will have parents who will also be neurodiverse or may have um, similar strengths and struggles that we're just not aware of. So raising awareness broadly across the organization is helpful. And then having you know, tailored kind of line management support and help to enable them to feel confident in entering into those conversations and being able to manage the um, the subsequent cases or you know, conversations that they need to have and being able to know where to go and having those signposts of where to go for support is really important. Yeah, definitely. And do you know what I was just thinking there as you were talking about that? So there's one part of it, which is this is the chicken and egg question. There's one part of it, which is, you know, what can HR teams do? What can businesses do to be more open and inclusive and make it make it recognisable that, you know, we are happy to champion and hire neurodiverse talent? Do you think neurodiverse diverse talent and people in that in that workspace do you think and I was thinking about your autistic sort of uh, stat that you said from the office of national statistics do you think there's an element of neurodiverse talent almost at the moment qualifying itself out because it just thinks well I'm just not going to get that job does there need to be um do there does there need to be more belief from that talent and pool and this is that's the chicken and egg thing it's like well I get belief as if I'm somebody who is um a, a neurodiverse if I have one of those disorders I need to have the belief that I can apply for all of these jobs and I'm actually going to be given a fair shout rather than before I even get to the first phase of sifting, I'm just going to qualify myself out because I'm not going to get a chance. Do you think there's almost that chicken and egg that needs to exist? And how does, yeah. where does that even start? Yeah, totally. I think it starts with, as an organisation, auditing and thinking about the way in which we are, we're applying our processes and policies across the piece. Now, when you say the word auditing, you know, there's a massive groan that has just gone up from everyone that's listening. I get it. And I'm not suggesting that we go, you know, get the auditors in necessarily. What I'm suggesting is apply a neuro-inclusive lens across all of your policies, procedures, and your ways of operating. So right from the get-go, you know, what you've just said, will people qualify themselves out? Well, if you've got a job description, and we know this, don't we, already from some of the statistics with um, with women, women won't apply for a job if they don't meet all of the criteria, whereas men will apply for a job if they meet 60%. I've probably got that stat completely wrong, but it's, you know, it's that kind of 
that kind of thing. Similarly, those who are neurodiverse or not neurodiverse will will qualify themselves or discount themselves for a job once they get to a point where they don't meet the criteria. So one of the things I would encourage everybody to do is start by having a look at your job descriptions and checking that they are fit for purpose. You know, sometimes job descriptions become like some sort of essay writing competition. And, you know, some of the JDs I read, four or five pages long, and you think, oh my God, this I don't even know what this job is anymore. Mm. You know, it's just gone into so much detail. So take it back to what is the job? You know, what are the accountabilities? What are the responsibilities? What do you really need to do the job? So some of the some of the jobs that we see where you need you definitely need a first class honours degree from a Russell Group university in order to fulfil this role. Really, do you? And rethinking some of the criteria for your role is is a really great starting point. Signposting to the outside world that you are neuro inclusive. Uh, or on the journey to being neuroinclusive is a really great way of indicating you're a welcoming organisation who, if somebody decides they are going to disclose their neurodiverse challenges to you, can be confident that you are going to receive that in a way that is going to help them through the process rather than be put off by applying for the job. Yeah, definitely. So final question from me, before I hand over to Chris, is... We've talked about kind of different groups of people, so the neurodiverse talent themselves, line managers, business colleagues, HR colleagues. How do we help all of these people to start seeing neurodiversity as a superpower rather than something negative? So the word superpower is really interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, having... So there's a guy called Theo Smith who is absolutely amazing. And if you haven't ever seen Theo talk, I would recommend that you do because he is um, he actually co-authored a book, which, again, is brilliant, called Neurodiversity at Work. Um, he co-authored that with Professor Amanda Kirby, with Amanda Kirby, who's like my complete teacher in all things neurodiversity. And I love her to bits. So um, but Theo talks about neurodiversity as a superpower and he talks about it very passionately and very energetically and he wants everybody to recognize the superpowers in neurodiversity. Now I think there are kind of superpowers and knowing that you have superpowers is one thing. Knowing that you're brilliant at something but you don't really realize it's a superpower is another thing I think. So just how do we get the best out of everybody in our organization and enable everybody to thrive is probably the question that I would you know, pose back and ask HR professionals to really think about. So being open, ensuring that your processes are not um, taking anybody, any talent out at an early stage is really enabling people to come in, be their best, tailoring your environment, tailoring your work content, the way in which you manage people is truly tailored to the individual rather than this is just how we do it and everybody does it the same way is not going to get the best out of people. Having people work from home, having people work in an open plan office, having quiet working spaces, you know, all of these things are going to just enable everyone to pick where am I going to be my best and where are you going to get the best out of your out of your talent pool is really helpful. 
No, that's really, really good. And Mel, thank you very much. We're just coming towards the end of the pod, which is a real shame because I feel like I could talk about this for hours. It's such a fascinating subject. And it's fascinating to me because I think for me, it's the talent shortage question as well. It's everyone's talking about, you know, where do we get our talent from? I was at an, uh, I was at an insurance industry forum um, at the end of February, and it was, where do we get our talent from? Rather than just poaching the same talent from each other's businesses, big businesses, where can we find new talent pools? And something like this just... It just feels like that untapped market. But just just before we wrap up today, is there any kind of like one big thing that you want our reader, if anything that we haven't talked about so far, that you'd just like to quickly flag just before we wrap up for today's podcast? I think be open and ask questions and be curious about neurodiversity. You know, if somebody discloses to you that they are neurodiverse or be alert to I remember somebody joined our team and said, oh, God, I had a complete Asperger's meltdown at the train station. And I was like, I need to talk to you about what that was. What was it? How did it feel? What do we look for? How can I help you in the workplace? And just be really open about those types of pointers and then share, you know, talk about it, normalize that language and behavior in your organization is going to really make such a positive difference. No, that's brilliant. Mel, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on. Um, you can get this podcast through uh, SoundCloud. We're on Spotify. You can get If you go to lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast, you can see all of our back catalogue of podcasts. Um, it, as I said, it has been absolutely delightful to have you on today, Mel. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great yeah. talking to you both. Great talking to you. And end. thank you very much, Partner in Crime. Thank you. I'll be back again soon. She'll be back again soon and uh, we will be back again soon and we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye bye.